Hey, everybody. This is Hard Time Strong Men Podcast with six and seven. Let's kick it. All right, guys. So today we're covering our three basic warrior tasks, shoot, move, and communicate. As a prepared citizen, combat isn't all that you do. It's a very small subsection, but you need to be able to do it effectively. And something that was drilled into us when we were in the army was in combat. If you're not shooting, you should be moving or communicating. If you're not moving, you should be shooting or communicating. If you're not communicating, you should be shooting or moving. So the first of these is shooting. When you're shooting, you should be laying accurate fire with your weapon system. You should be destroying the enemy. You should be killing the enemy. The basic concept of shooting is that once you get rounds on target, you need to shoot until the enemy is down. Not uh, You're shooting until the threat is not a threat anymore. Exactly. If they still have a weapon in their hand, they are still a threat. You need to continue shooting them until they are no longer a threat. Once you're done shooting, you need to ensure that the target is thus rendered safe, you know, dead, or without a weapon in his hand, and clearly incapacitated. Either that or just that target is now covered by friendlies and disarmed. You do this before moving past them. This was drilled in our heads so much in the army. Once you move past a target, you can't turn around and shoot them again unless they are clearly a threat. If you move past them and then turn around and shoot them again without them being a threat, you just violated the Geneva Convention. As guerrillas, we need to operate within our moral, legal, you know, ethical bounds. Right, exactly. So once you move past them, at that point, if they're no longer a threat, they are now a uh, a casualty. Prisoner of war. Yeah, they're a prisoner of war. You need to treat them as such and render aid. Implied and aid. and sorry, I didn't mean to step over you, but like that's that's important because you know we're going to talk about supply you know here in a few episodes. But as a guerrilla fighter, militia man, prepared citizen, you don't have the the supply the network that you know a conventional army does. Right. So if you have to render aid. To an enemy right that's taking away from from your supply that you need to be using for your guys better off dead kind of a morbid way to to think about it but it's the economics of warfare yep exactly so in order to be able to shoot proficiently this is going to require that you actually practice with your weapons that you know your weapons that you can understand even malfunctions with your weapons and be able to counteract that you need to do this on every level within your network so if you're going to have someone who's carrying somehow a 240 bravo a machine gun you need to know how to operate that weapon the same as if that person needs to know how to operate your weapon you need to be able to operate every weapon system within your network ideally you know a lot of people talk about like oh you know that guy's a loot dropper or whatever it's really easy in the states because the ar-15 is so prolific if you know how to use an ar-15 you can use 90 percent of the weapons in the states going off weapons familiarization you should you know learn how to use an ak you should learn how to use all these different weapon systems in case you know, you need to resupply off of, you know, fallen enemies or... If you're resupplying off of fallen enemies, you need to understand what ammo you are picking up. You need to understand what ammo goes into your weapon. Because if you're running a uh, 300 blackout and you try putting 5.56 in there, you're going to have a bad time. And the same goes if you're running a 5.56 or two two three weapon, like an M4, and you throw a 300 blackout in there, that weapon system will fail to function. And by fail to function, I mean explode in your hands. Yeah, I mean, something that I talk about a lot is cross-loading. Make sure that the weapons you use in your team and your network are all the same, so you can, you know, offload ammo, use the same weapon systems. You like 300 Blackout. 
I love 300 blackout. Really great rifle. And, you know, that's probably what you would use most of the time if you were, you know, in an urban environment. If I didn't know that, I just picked up one of your mags or you threw me a mag, hey, take this. I threw in my AR, then, hey, you just made a casualty. Yeah, I'm going to have a fun time, but you're not. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. We're so morbid. It's great. So one other thing, a concept that I wanted to touch on is what we call talking guns. This plays into movement and communication. When you're shooting, if I hear, so me and Six are on a team, and Six is shooting, suppressing the enemy, I know that I can move because he's laying down accurate fire. He's keeping their heads down. As soon as he stops, I need to be at a place of cover and concealment, and I need to pick up that fire. So I need to be suppressing the enemy. Once he hears me pick up, he can move. Right. And also along the lines of talking guns at the very basic form, we're talking about one person shoots, the other person shoots, one person shoots, the other person shoots. There should never be a break. Right. And they do this so that you can conserve ammunition. However, once somebody goes to reload, you need to pick up your volume of fire. Right. So if you know this you know, takes place in reloading and malfunctions, that's why you need to communicating that right exactly this is where we're going to get into how everything meshes how everything goes together because i know we say this a lot but this stuff will save your lives this stuff will save other lives if you don't know that someone else is is uh, reloading then i mean in a combat situation you have to assume that they are probably injured and at that point like if you're not communicating that you're reloading or that you have a malfunction or whatever, and if someone assumes that you're injured, they can move from where they are and expose themselves to enemy fire. And then you have a casualty that was just inadvertent, that didn't need to happen. And that's what we're trying to avoid. Right. And a lot of this, you know, outside of the, you know, the didactic concepts, it goes into knowing your team, knowing your network, training with these guys, living with these guys, you know, learning, learning by, by doing. Right, exactly. And this may seem like the... Uh, the stereotypical, like, you know, kind of like crazy backwards uh, or even militia talk, living with people, shooting with people, training with people, but it's it's necessary. Like, if it comes down to it and you get into a situation where you are actually in combat somehow, if you get into a, a stuff hits the fan kind of situation and you are wildly untrained and you're going in with a, a network that you don't even know, there are a lot of problems that can arise from that. Especially from the fact of not knowing them, them not knowing you, and knowing how each other operates. Along with talking guns comes the concept of bounding. So when one person's shooting, the other person should be either reloading or moving. And in this case, we're going to talk about moving. Yeah, so move. In combat, in contact, you're either closing with the enemy, you're either moving to the enemy, or you're evading the enemy, you're breaking contact. In all of this, you need to... Maintain your situational awareness. When you're looking at your, you know, at your terrain, you need to keep in mind OCOC, which is observation, fields of fire, avenues of approach, keen, decisive terrain, obstacles, cover and concealment. Every time that you move, you need to be moving to a place of cover and concealment. What I mean by cover is anything that can stop incoming rounds, anything that can stop bullets or anything that would do you harm. Concealment, anything that conceals your person, anything that stops the enemy from observing you. And when you're moving with an element, with your friendlies, you always need to maintain good spacing and offset. So a good rule of thumb when we were you know, using our formations was you want to keep at least 5 to 10 meters off of your buddy. So 5 to 10 meters between you two. And you want to be offset offline from each other. 
Reason being, whatever formation you're in, you're going to want to be able to react to contact in all directions, in front of you, behind you, to either flank. In the case of incoming fire, munitions, whatever, you're trying to avoid a mass cal, mass casualty. There was a video I just saw on Instagram like a few days ago where a Ukrainian sniper took out like three or four Russians because they were all in a line heading down this narrow road and you know you you can't make it easier so we'll we can go into more formations but the the concept is maintaining spacing and offset you're trying to avoid mascal you're trying to avoid fracticide you're trying to avoid shooting your buddies and when you're not in contact when you're moving to contact or you know just out on patrol you're you need to maintain your situational awareness so a couple acronyms to help you do that is SILS and OCOC. So S-L-L-S, stop, look, listen, smell. If there's a change in the environment, birds flying away, suddenly all the animals stop making sounds, you're stopping movement, you're looking around, looking for anything that doesn't belong there, you're listening to hear you know, footsteps, fire, metal on metal, smell, see if you can, you know, like we talked in our census class, you can smell uh, fuel, fire, aftershave whatever anything that shouldn't be there in the environment you're trying to to avoid walking into an ambush and after sills you're looking for uh ocock which stands for uh observations of field of fire so i mean you're looking for where an enemy could be you can you're looking at where they would be firing from you're looking at uh, avenues of approach so the a if, if you're being funneled down to a, a valley if you're being funneled into like the one road into an area that is a great place for an ambush you need to be looking for that you're looking the k is the key and decisive terrain so if you're looking at big cliffs overlooking an avenue if you're looking at ditches separating the road from the next train feature be it a hill or whatever clock towers crossroads bridges exactly next o is you're looking for obstacles so i mean if somebody's dropped a tree across the path Obviously, you're going to get stopped by that, and you're going to have to deal with that or climb over it, whatever. That's a great place for an ambush. You need to be looking for stuff like that. Cars parked in the road, obviously abandoned. I mean, barriers set up. Fording a river. Exactly. And you'll last, you'll last see uh, cover and concealment. I can't stress this enough. You need to be looking for cover and concealment everywhere you go in a combat situation because you never know where the fire can come from, and you need to know where you're going to be going as soon as the contact happens. Exactly. And, you know, not just in in combat, but that plays into your situational awareness. Right, exactly. And once you start taking fire and you need to start moving, there's there's really four ways you can do this. Uh, You can start with a low crawl. Uh, We we like to call it skull dragging. You get yourself as low as possible. Like you are literally scraping your skull across the ground. That is as low as possible. You are as low as the worms. You do not want to get shot. That's what you should be doing. After that's the high crawl. So you're still low, but you're crawling, you know, on your elbows. You're moving your head's kind of up, but you're still pretty low. You're still avoiding fire. Right. So reason for those two low crawl, you're making yourself as small as possible. Mm-hmm. And then the high crawl, you're still low, but it affords you greater movement. Right. Exactly. You, you can move a lot faster doing that than with the low crawl. After that is what we call the uh, the rush. You may have heard it, uh, the technique being called the uh, three to five second rush or the uh, I'm up, he sees me, I'm down. So with the rush, that is your basic way of moving as quickly as possible by yourself. The technique known as uh, I'm up, he sees me, I'm down is about three to five seconds long. 
It's it's a very, very strict thing. Don't go longer than that, otherwise you are probably going to get shot and it's going to be a bad time. So after rushing comes bounding. Bounding is just the culmination of the three to five second rush, but with more than one person. So we have successive and alternating bounding. Successive just means that like one person gets up, they move, they go down, and then the other person gets up, moves in line with them, and then drops with them. Alternating would just be that one person gets up, they move, and they set, and then the other person gets up, moves past them, and sets. It's like a stair-step technique. And then group movement techniques, so what we call our you know, movement formations, two basic ones uh, are wedge and the stagger column. So the quicker of the two, the stagger column, imagine you and your buddies on either side of the road, offset from each other in a diagonal, kind of like a zigzag. With any of these, you're trying to keep your good spacing like 10, 15 meters, and you're trying to keep good offset. So using the staggered column, like I said, it's quicker. You can go down a road, still retain the ability to fire in all directions. Granted, in this formation, only the two, you know, the two guys at the front or the two guys at the rear can engage your front or rear uh, contact, but everybody can open up on your flanks. Right. And... We do this mainly just because staggering like that, while while it is a quick way of moving, it also prevents a machine gunner from just like aiming straight down your line, opening fire, and hitting everyone in a straight line. Like that's not what you want to do. The width of the offset offset is just to prevent like say a mortar round from coming in, a grenade from coming in, an IED from an improvised explosive device from going off and taking out everyone. Because if you bunch up, that's what's going to happen if you step on an IED. It's going to take out literally everyone. So mentioning IEDs, you would use the Sarah column on a road. Mm-hmm. It's not... A road, a trail, whatever. Right, it's not very smart to use a wedge on, on a road. No. But, so you're using the Sarah column in restricted terrain, like a road or a creek bed or whatever. Right, exactly. Because uh, historically, we've seen that things like IEDs, pressure plates, explosives, whatever, are usually planted right in the middle or as close to the middle as possible. And this this really came out of um, out of Vietnam when the Viet Cong would put their traps in the middle of like footpaths and people would step on them. They'd go down into like punji pits. So just like a deep pit, just low enough where it's hard to get out of. And they put like spikes at the bottom. They, they you know, whatever. They, they laced them with like feces, whatever, to, to cause additional problems. But... We do the stagger column to stay out of the middle of the road and out of basically what we call a kill box. With any movement technique that we use, we are trying to avoid mass cal events and we're trying to avoid fracticide. Yes. You don't want more than one person going down at a time. You don't want to shoot your buddies. And the other movement technique is the wedge. And that's the one that we use most organically. I, you know, if you're in open air, if you are unrestricted with terrain, you're going to be using this in the army. As we said earlier, you're offsets or your your space is going to be about 10 meters 10 15 meters this is normally run with your well it's always one with your leader in front and then his team at a diagonal behind him so your automatic rifleman your grenadier your other rifleman this provides you with 360 degrees of security and the ability to fire in all directions right think the uh the flying v from the mighty ducks that's what it looks like Right, so you can fire in front, behind, and to either side. You're completely unrestricted. And communicate. Communication allows you to uh, aid in everybody's situational awareness, and you can report accurately. 
Yeah, whether it be friendlies or enemies or even just like friendlies, enemies, vehicles, just any sort of call-outs, buildings, uh, key terrain features, whatever. Whatever you're looking for, you it's that's what you're calling out. So imply tasks with communicate, you're always maintaining OPSIC and you're always maintaining COMSIC. So let's so you know let's break this down like we're not in combat. All right, so OPSIC, operational security. You don't want people to know what you know. Yeah. All right. So if you're you know with your buddy that you just trained with on the weekends in an elevator full of other people, you want you don't want to pipe in like, hey man, are you excited for you know training next weekend over at the ranch? Shut up. Located at this address. Yeah. Yeah. OPSIC is really easy. Just shut up. Don't talk about it. Loose lips sink ships. So comsec communication security. Most oftentimes people are talking about this uh, in in the context of using a radio. Like OPSIC, don't throw everything out over the airwaves where potentially people could be listening in. Okay, so don't use your real names. Use your call signs. If you're in an operational environment, keep your transmissions really short. You can even do them at scheduled times if you're you know not actively in contact. Always assume that you're being listened to. That's the safest way to play it. Right. And we even did that in the Army. Even though we had encrypted radios, we were we would still do this just because you never know. If someone loses a radio and that radio was filled, they would have the uh, the security key that's already implemented in there to be able to listen to our radio chatter. So that's clearly not something you want somebody to have. You want to maintain as much advantage as you want. So even in this case, when you're not when you don't have fills and security and crypto. You're still, you still want to do that. Like that's, that's a must. Regardless of what, you know, what capabilities you have, you should always be maintaining comsec. Right. Exactly. Right now we're talking about reacting to contact. So in that context, we're talking about as soon as you hit contact, you need to be relaying the three D's and the three D's are distance, direction, and description. So contact front 300 meters three men, small arms fire kind of thing. You're, you're helping with situational awareness. You want, if your buddy didn't see where you were getting shot from, you need to relay that information to him. So everybody's on the same page. Right. And it needs to be repeated throughout the formation so that everybody knows and everybody's on the same page. So it's not just one person at the front yelling it because somebody at the back may not hear it and may not understand. And they're lost in the sauce. So everybody's repeating and you know, Repeating that doesn't just show that you, you know, doesn't just make it loud for everybody to hear, but it shows that you're acknowledging that. So before we get into our, you know, a couple different reports that you can use, like we're talking about with shoot, just your weapon system, things to communicate. So cover me. I'm reloading. If you're out of ammo, you need to have someone pick up that cover. I'm black on ammo. You have no ammo. Well, one, you're an idiot, but you know, two people should know that. And then... What, that they're an idiot or that they're out of ammo? That they're out of ammo. Yeah. But, I mean, that communicates both. Little call me, little call me. And then after you're done clearing that malfunction, after you're done reloading, I'm up. So you can continue talking guns. You need to always be thinking about your economy of fire. We called it machine gun math. So the three Ds are what you use in the middle of a firefight, essentially. The next three things are ones that you typically don't. They take a little more time. They're a little more involved. These are ones that you would essentially communicate over the radio or 
throughout your element that's there, especially when like a team leader comes around, they're using at least one of these reports. The first of these reports is called the salute report or the salt report. The salt report is just a shortened version of the salute report. So salute stands for size, activity, location, uniform, time, and equipment. So you're reporting on the enemy with these. You're reporting the size of the element, the activity, so what they're doing, locations of where they're at, especially in relation to you. You're notating what uniform they're wearing. You're notating the time, how long ago you saw this, and the equipment that they had with them. That's salute. Salt is just size, activity, location, and time. One of the reports that you would pass to a, uh, say, a team leader or squad leader or whoever's just... Whoever leader is checking up on you. Yes, exactly. So this this comes when you're at a stationary point, when you're not in contact. This leader is going around and trying to assess where you guys are at as far as ammunition and water and supplies even injuries. So this would be done. So in the army, this would be done after we respond into contact, after we push through, you know, push past the enemy. When we were online at that point, your team leader would run around. He would check, Hey, you have, you know, do you have water? How much ammo do you have? You know, are you hurt? Do I have a casualty? And do you have all of your equipment? Right. This is called the lace or ACE report. The lace is obviously the more encompassing one. Uh, lace stands for liquid ammo, casualty and equipment. Ace is just the lace without the liquid. So liquid, they're talking about how much water you have. Ammo is, you know, how much ammo do you have left in your magazines or in your weapon, whatever. If you're a casualty and uh, how's your equipment? Do you have like your night vision? Do you have your weapon? Do you have your canteen cup? Who knows? They're just making sure that you have everything. that You didn't lose anything during the assault. So if you do have a casualty, this is when probably the most involved report comes in. We use this in the army when we took a casualty during fire. This is called the nine line medevac report. This is so that you can get, say, your 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 medical evacuation coming. Your Black Hawk, your uh, your Pedro, if you want to call it that. Common call sign that was in Afghanistan was Pedro. This will look different in a guerrilla context, right? Probably not going to have a helo. You know, this could look like the back of a flatbed truck. This could look like a van. This could look like a train. This could look like an ATV, a boat, four wheeler, whatever. This is just meant so that you can accurately give basically the rescuers, the evac, knowledge of what the situation is as far as like how your casualty is, how many casualties, what's going on if you're under fire, and what kind of like train features or equipment they're going to need to help facilitate this evacuation. So there's nine lines to this, obviously. First line is location of the pickup site, so where you're going to be with the casualty for them to come. The second line of this is the frequency, call sign, and suffix. So what radio frequency you're going to be on so that, that when they get in the area, they can start calling out to you to find out where you are, what your ETA is, how the casualty is doing, and the call sign of what you are going to be, who they should talk to, to maintain comsec. Huh. What do you know? Line three is the number of casualties by precedent. So we're talking urgent priority routine. The difference between these is urgent. It needs to get out like right now. I mean, it's the difference between a, a sucking chest wound and a scrape or a busted ankle. I mean. Right. Exactly. So your urgent is immediate, like must be done now priority is within i don't know it's hard it's hard to convey it in terms of like the gorilla because yeah and we're not going to give you hard lines on this guys you will have to apply this to your context to your met dc right exactly and 99.9 percent of the time in afghanistan if we were doing a nine line medevac it was always urgent always 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 urgent because if you didn't then the medevac chopper will not come for hours and you want to get that casualty out of there and to the next line of uh, medical treatment ASAP. So line four is a special equipment needed. So this could be a gurney, this or not a gurney, but a uh, 
Jesus, if you're calling for a gurney, that per- you don't need a nine line medevac. It's a rough day. Yeah, that's a really bad day. So anyway, that's a uh, like a stretcher uh, that could be a hoist. So if you're in rough terrain and they had to lower a hoist down to pick up this casualty, they would probably need that. Maybe a ventilator. Fire departments have the jaws of life, so things to extract the casualty. Exactly. Line five would be the number of casualty by type. This would either be ambulatory or litter. So we're talking they can either walk ambulatory or litter. They need to be carried out. Uh, Line six is the security of the pickup site. We're talking either no enemy, enemy possible, enemy of the area, or active engagement. So enemy in area need escort. This is pretty self-explanatory. Enemy possible. I mean, they could be in the area. You're... Your medevac needs to know what they're coming into. Right, exactly. Because if they aren't prepared for that, you could potentially be making another mass cow, and then you don't have medevac for anybody else. Exactly. Line 7 would be your uh, method of marking, whether it be a VS-17 panel, which was one side was bright orange, the other side was purple. It's just a big fold-out fabric panel that is easily seen. Refracts a lot of light. Yeah. Orange against green, like you're, you're going to see that. Uh, it could be pyro flares uh it could be smoke the most common thing we used was smoke you could also say that there is going to be no method of marking or other so it could be if you use other you're going to have to explain what the method of marking is going to be it could be like i don't know a sheet hanging out of a window other i mean like you said you could hang a sheet out window you you know if you're you brought spray paint you could paint a circle on the side of a building i mean that's more used for where your enemies in your area and you're attempting to evade them Right. So you don't want to broadcast where you're at. And line eight would be your casualty nationality and status. One of the biggest ones we would run into would be Afghans being injured. Because in Afghanistan, I hate to say it, but the Afghan National Army was probably the most ill-prepared army on the face of the planet. I'm not afraid to say it. They were garbage. They were terrible. No matter how much we trained them, no matter how much we ran through everything with them, they were still so, so, so bad at their jobs. Anyway, you're going to be calling out the patient's nationality and status. So how they're doing, like, you know, are they awake? <laughs> are they coherent? Yeah. So in a gorilla context, you know, this probably isn't a line you'll really use all that much, but you know, you could transfer this to mean like, Hey, I have an enemy casualty. I have an EPW. This would also work into like a language barrier. Yeah, exactly. Cause if you have someone speaking Spanish and none of you know Spanish, you're going to need a translator. Line nine is your terrain or seaburn. Uh, terrain is just as it is. What they're coming into. Yeah, exactly. Seaburn. Seaburn is an acronym that means uh, chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear. So this could be gas. This could be nerve agent. Your nerve agent. This could be the fact that the area just gotten like nuked or was exposed to some kind of radiation. That takes special equipment for the operators of, if it's a helo, they need, they need to know that and they need to be taking uh, precautions as far as like dressing themselves or you know real world hey you know i'm in this apartment building at such and such place you know they had a gas leak there's carbon monoxide in the area yeah you know i think we're fine here but it could be anything right and with the nine line we wanted to give you guys all the lines in their entirety because that's important but you need to shorten this down to your context what you're able to you know the information you're able to provide to people and what makes sense for you when we pass the nine line it usually took the first four lines before the helo would leave like, they would be spinning up, but you would have to pass the first four lines, and once you did, that helo was in the air and it was coming to you. So that that could take place with whatever uh, evacuation method you have. In the, uh, the case of line four, that could just be that if you needed water, you would pass that too. Bring a case of water. Bring ammo in mags. You would need to state that. 
I can't stress that enough. If you say to bring ammo, that could just be that it's in a case, it's not magged, and then you're going to have to load a bunch of mags. If you're going to request like ammo, be sure to state that you need ammo loaded in magazines and how much. And as far as what you were saying just a second ago, you need to be establishing your SOPs now, your standard operating procedures now. You need to be establishing your call signs, what frequencies you'll be on, your pace plan. Pace plan means your primary mode of communication, your alternate mode of communication, your contingency, and your emergency. And SOPs are written in blood. Exactly. We're talking SOP, we mean standard operating procedure. Everybody has SOPs. I'm talking even businesses have SOPs for how they deal with certain situations. It's it's very common thing. Exactly. And part of the pace plan as well, those are alternating forms of communication. We have voice. If I'm talking to you, you know, same room, voice communication, hand and arm signals, which we do post on later, but I'm not going to try to describe how to hold your hands up. Your phone, radio, written word, actually, those are your range cards, your sector sketches. You need to be establishing these SOPs now before you have to write them in blood later. And following up on the nine-line medevac, do you want to talk about the missed report? Yeah, so a missed report, that's your method of injury. So what happened? Were they in a vehicle crash? Did they sustain a gunshot wound? Did they twist their ankle? Injury sustained. Hey, he's got a sucking chest wound or he's got a laceration, a cut to his scalp. He has a broken finger. Uh, symptoms present guys screaming out in pain hey there's a lot of blood loss or uh, agonal breathing his respirations are changed and treatment given i wrapped his finger up with a bandage i put a dressing on uh this laceration i had to apply a tourniquet i stabbed him in the leg with morphine it's a really nice way of saying that yeah they just took that thing and just jammed it in the leg but you need to report stuff like that especially if you administer medication they need to know that yes and we'll go over that in our in medical our, uh, medical in our medical classes you are reporting everything everything matters so another form of communication would be your weapon status i know we kind of covered this but let's cover this in a little more detail because this is really important when you're in combat I, I, I can't stress that enough you need to know what's going on around you you need to report to everyone else what's going on with you so that they can understand and have an overall context of what's going on with their element you could be conveying stuff like cover me i'm reloading or just saying just shouting reloading. You don't have to say cover me. Just say reloading. Or shouting malfunction. Yes. Boom, 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 boom. Click malfunction. Exactly. You can say, I'm out of ammo. I'm black on ammo. Anybody got a mag? I'm out. Relaying those kind of things. When you have a malfunction and you get the weapon system back in operating procedure, you need to say, hey, I'm up. Weapon up. I'm green. Whatever. But you need to convey that because while you're fixing this stuff, everyone else has picked up their volume of fire to compensate for your lack of fire. So everyone's going through ammo at a quicker rate. Obviously, that's an issue. So you need to get that volume of fire back down so everybody is at an equal level and expending ammo at the same kind of rate. All right, so to tie everything in together, we want to run you guys through Battle Drill 2, which is React to Contact. And if you're a visual learner, go check out our IG at Hard Time Strongman Podcast. On there will be the, the visual for what we're talking about with Battle Drill 2. This is something you can easily do with, even without a weapon. You could do this in a park. You could do this in your backyard. You could do this with your buddies. You could hold sticks, whatever. It's it's the same concept, and it's applicable through. Well, and well, in the word that you just use, concept, right? So all these things, these are not hard lines. You need to be able to apply this, adapt this to your context. Okay, you're acting in contact. Two guys, five guys, ten guys. You're moving, and 
you take contact. So someone starts shooting at you. Immediately, you return fire. You try to establish your fire superiority. While you're doing that, everybody is getting online. So once they get online, at that point, you've already established where the enemy is and you've established what kind of weapon system is engaging you. That's kind of important because once you'd establish what's engaging you, you can then plan to either engage the enemy or break contact. Because if it's a machine gunner, I'm going to say nine times out of ten, you're going to try and break contact. You're going to get the heck out of there because you're in a kill zone. Exactly. So that defines if you're breaking contact or assaulting through. If you're walking down an alleyway and you get engaged by a 50 cal or a 240, or if you're walking through a town and you get engaged by a sniper, you're going to be breaking contact. You're getting out of there. You're not going to be Call of Dutying this and like going Superman and trying to find this thing and chucking C4 and frag grenades into this. No, 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 no. Chances are they're going to see you. They're going to shoot you because they're in a very, very good position. You want to get out of there in that case. But this is reacting to contact. This is essentially assaulting through. You're going to be taking out whatever is engaging you at this point. At this point in the exercise, you're all online returning fire. You should already have an SOP set out, but at this point, your leader would communicate who is going to be moving, you know, always bounding, you know, because you're in contact, always moving to a position of cover and concealment to the closest point of cover and concealment perpendicular to the enemy. So you're making an L shape. Exactly. And in order to get to that point, the element that's going to be assaulting through initially, the one that's perpendicular, that element may have to retreat back so that they have some kind of concealment, whether it be like a terrain feature. You don't want the enemy to know what you're doing. Exactly. Exactly. Because if the enemy sees that you're moving off to the side, they're probably going to send an element over there to, to protect their flank. And you need to have violence of action during this. You need to be moving quick, fast, in a hurry, because the whole time that second element is moving... That first one has to pick up fire to cover them. Economy of fire, you're going to run out of bolts eventually. Exactly. So you need to be hustling. You need to be running. But essentially, once you uh, get that element broken off from the main element, they're going to move back, move around as quick as possible so that they can see the enemy that they're perpendicular to the main element that's firing. Once you do that, that perpendicular element is going to call set to the uh, first element. First element will, will relay back shift fire in which case instead of shooting directly at the enemy they're going to shift fire left or right opposite of where the second element is so that it's still you know it still sounds like they're the enemy's being shot at to them and you should always be trying to get accurate fires but you're trying to avoid fracticide so shift fire to the side this can be fluid when you get the hang of it to where that second movement or that second element is moving as that fire is shifting the point is you're trying to not shoot your buddies you're trying to give them space to move exactly but you're also still trying to suppress the enemy so that they can move on in on them and anyway that element as soon as this shift fire happens will then begin assaulting through the objective or you know where the enemy is to either kill them or capture them usually if they have a weapon and they've been firing at you you're going to kill them or that's the uh, the primary objective is to kill them right that second element has pushed through the enemy pushed through the objective they get to their end point, which they'll shout out, LOA, 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 which is your limit of advance. That's as far as you're going normally. That's the end of that first element. The last guy of that element, and once he sees them pass him, he'll communicate to them so they can all stop. Yep, and once once that second element is set, having just assaulted through the objective, the first element will pick up and then assault through the objective again. 
These people, this is where you get into the exception. If the enemy has been shot and is still a threat, that that second element can then, <laughs> then shoot the enemy again if they're still an issue. But once they get past that enemy, then they have to render aid. If they come back, they have to render aid. Otherwise, you're committing a war crime. Right, and this is all by doctrine, guys. We're not telling you to you know, shoot somebody on the ground, but this is what we were taught. Along those lines, when that second element pushes through the objective, gets online on their L.O. way, they're automatically pulling security for that first element as they push through. Right, and they're not pushing, they're not pulling security back into the objective. They're pulling security outward. That first element moves to the end of that second element. Once again, last man is shouting out L.O.A. Once he sees his buddies move past him. At this point, both elements have gone online and pushed through the objective. They've killed or captured anything that's in there. That area is rendered safe. You would go through your lace reports, your ace reports. You get back in formation and you'd move on. Yeah, exactly. And if you have to stay on site for an extended period of time, you would then establish a perimeter. You would establish security around the area. You would establish where avenues of approach. You would establish dead space so that areas that you can't see that enemies could be hiding. So it'd be like the other side of a hill, whatever, right. behind trees. That's when you would employ grenadiers to That would be their kill area. Woohoo, grenadiers. And we'll, and we'll talk about that with weapons familiarization, what each weapon system is used for. Yes. So, you know, what you were referencing grenadiers, explosives, they're for large open areas, dead space. Essentially, what you've done is you've created a box. Like you said, the leaders would then go through, conduct lace, ace reports, whatever. Then you would search the site for sensitive information, intel, intelligence, maps. You can you could resupply at this point if you use similar weapon systems. If not, if not, and if you're in a you know an occupied environment, render those render those weapons useless. Yep. You know this might be an SOP that your guys carry thermite so that you can destroy equipment. It might be that you you know, strip all the bolts out or, you know, whatever. You'd be thinking ahead on these things. Also, at this point, you would be, you know, if you if anything was left alive, they would be an EPW. You would conduct enemy prisoner of war. You would conduct a search and everything that goes along with that. And I wanted to just do a quick fragger why I just said, you know, never assume that a dead body is safe. So still search them like you would search an EPW. They could still be holding a live grenade. You know, on the podcast, we really try to stay away from absolutes because warfare is such a fluid thing but use your better judgment always 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 and we can run into this real quick uh i know we're, we're kind of getting a little long in this podcast but this is honestly something that like just popped into my head and it's really really important when you are searching bodies you need to have two people number one is the person moving the body because that person could still be alive that person could be they that person could have pulled the pin on a grenade and the spoon just hasn't come off We'll, we'll talk about what the spoon is and all that stuff. But they could have prepped a grenade so that when you roll that body over, it goes off. So buddy number one, actually laying down on the casualty to roll them. Buddy number two, five meters away-ish on the opposite end of the body so that in case there is a grenade, everybody can get to cover. But Or if that person is still alive and holding a weapon, they exactly. can shoot them. Right, so spacing and offset... Always. It's it's an implied task, guys. Spacing away from each other, offset so that if you do have to engage that, you know, quote unquote dead body, you can engage that without have you know, without worrying about, you know, shooting your buddy. And we will definitely do an EPW class later, guys, because that's an art in of itself. But we we're trying to get out information to you guys, keep you guys safe. 
And, you know, like you said, six, these are potential, you know, mini caches, mini resupply points. Yep. Also, you know, always, you know, something that you're always doing is collecting information. Always. So they could have a map. They could have a brand rain notebook with all their frequencies. You don't know. And as far as we were talking about rendering equipment useless, like you said, that could be dropping thermite on something. That could be opening up an M4, taking out the bolt carrier group, taking out the charging handle. If they had a 240, you could take the barrel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could take the barrel. You could do that to a saw. But yeah, the most effective way to render a weapon useless is to take the bolt carrier group or the bolt. Or if you guys if you guys know that you're operating in that area, if you're not too far and you know you can you can spare the weight, take it. Take it. Yeah, take the weapon. Take the weapon. Take the ammo. I will. I will weapon. say this though. Never assume something is safe. Yes. So I think it was Reaper Actual on on Instagram just did a post on Operation Eldest Son. Oh right, the booby trapped like uh, where the ammo. where the CIA booby trapped ammunition with you know C4 charges or dud rounds or whatever, and there's no way you would know. Right. So never assume anything. Yeah, you could just be firing away. The next thing you know, your weapon blows up because it's been it's been tampered with, or the ammo exactly. been tampered with, or the magazine had a C4 charge in it, and then all of a sudden you're dead, and like three people around you are dead. Yeah. So we got lost in the weeds a little bit on this one, but no, we didn't. That's a lot of good information. <laughs> it, it was good information, but we're talking about should move, communicate your basic tasks, things that you should be doing if you're in contact without having to be told to. Yeah. This is something you need to be like working on constantly. Um, mm-hmm. This is something, obviously we said that, you know, you need to establish SOPs. You, this is something that like it, it is implied. This is a basic basic thing that you need to know how to do especially when it comes to like getting into combat getting into soldiering a fight. yeah yeah and the great part about this is because we're just you know because we're covering the basics these will these will transfer to other skills other tasks oh right? absolutely so once you learn this if you can knock out the basics of anything then you know you can apply that to different things so Learn the basics, and you know those fundamentals will carry you a lot farther, you know, than you potentially think. Our references will be in the description. We we used a lot of them. Yeah, we we use a lot of them. I don't even know if we use, <laughs> if everything cited there is stuff that we've used. Yeah, there's at least twelve on there, guys. Um, but I know I've said this before. I'm pulling this from RB Pubs, guys. Army Publications, this is open to you. You can go on the internet and download this stuff, print it off, and learn it for yourself. It's something you probably should take advantage of if you're actually interested in this stuff and knowing uh, tactics and what you should do in these situations. Obviously, why would you be listening to us? I mean, otherwise, you know, that you love us and support us. But this is the kind of thing you need to be learning. Once you hit these basics, you always do them. Like, we did this all the time, especially when we weren't deployed. We were still training all of this stuff. Because this is a perishable skill. This is something that you need to know and you need to have. Absolutely. If you're still here, thank you for listening. Like, comment, subscribe, share with your friends. Teach people. Mentor people. You may not always be around, but if you learn these skills, if you can teach these skills, then that's what really matters. This was Shoot, Move, Communicate, Kill. Bye, everybody.